Thank you so much, ladies, today for your ministry. You're very precious to us. Your testimonies mean so much to us, and thank you today for serving us. One of the early Christian leaders in the second and third century was a man by the name of Tertullian. Uh, Tertullian was um, a very vital leader in early Christianity. In fact, he's the first one to use the word Trinity to describe uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we owe a great debt to the ministry of Tertullian. He left us a number of memorable quotes, and one of his great quotes is this one here. He said, a man, and obviously he meant uh, man or woman, becomes a Christian, he is not born one. Now, the process by which we become a Christian is known in the Bible as conversion. Uh, Jesus, uh, in really describing what Tertullian is saying here in Matthew 18.3, said, Unless you be converted and become like little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And the Greek word that Jesus used for converted there means to change. It means to turn around. It means to turn oneself. Um, It is that process by which we turn from self and turn to Jesus. Now, you know, there are very many things that we can substitute for conversion that will not make us Christians. Um, Having Christian parents, uh, being raised in a church, uh, being baptized, or being confirmed. I know a very dear lady who one day a pastor asked her if she was a Christian, and And she said, well, I've been confirmed. And he said, well, I don't mean that. And that began to get her to think, what does it really mean to become a Christian? Now, while all of those things that I just mentioned are very, very important, Jesus said one thing and one thing alone makes us a Christian, and that is conversion. This morning, we want to return to the book of Ruth. And we want to bring a message simply entitled, What is Conversion? An Old Testament Testimony. Now, this is probably the most important question that anyone could ask. Uh, I do not believe I could preach a more significant message from the Word of God than this message today. Now, uh, normally when we think about conversion, we, we think about going to the New Testament. And all the stories of conversion in the New Testament. But here this morning, as we come to uh, the book of Ruth, we are going to find one of the greatest conversions of all time. Do you know there is no human reason why Ruth should have been converted to the Lord? She was a Moabite woman. She was raised in a pagan culture. She worshipped false gods. She had suffered very, very hard trials, and yet she was converted and she became a believer. Uh, May I just say this morning, if she could be converted, anyone can be converted? That's absolutely right. And this morning, I want you to do this as I do this morning. Will you compare your life to hers? 
And will you sincerely ask yourself the most vital question of all? Have you been converted? Let's open our Bibles to Ruth chapter 1. And I want you to notice the first answer to this question, what is conversion, is this answer here this morning. Conversion is a faith commitment to the Lord for life. Open to Ruth chapter 1, and I want you to focus with me on verses 16 and 17 of her testimony as she replies to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And listen to what she says. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Now, this is one of the most beautiful testimonies in all of the Bible. In fact, one of the most beautiful testimonies in all of human literature. The structure of verses 16 and 17 make it very clear that the statement at the end of verse 16 is the central focus of Ruth's testimony. In fact, it is a noun clause in the, uh, the original language. Literally, it is, your people, my people... Your God, my God. Everything around it is a verbal clause. This is a noun clause. It is the central commitment of Ruth causing all of the rest that she says. Now you'll notice in verse 16, Ruth calls God Elohim, the Creator. Do you know everyone can call God Elohim? Everyone. Because He is our Creator by virtue of natural birth. But down in verse 17, she calls Him Lord Yahweh. That is God's personal name, and only believers have the right to call Him by His personal name. In fact, here when she says, your people, my people, your God, my God, Ruth is using the central covenant promise that God made when he took Israel as his own people. Remember in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 7, he said, you shall be my people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord Yahweh, your God. Now Ruth is saying the very same thing. She is saying, I am taking the same God as my God. I am trusting Him as my Lord. Uh, do you know this is the only time in the whole book of Ruth that Ruth uses the personal name of the Lord. But if you would, look over at chapter 2 with me for just a moment and verse 12 and notice what is said about her in relationship to God, the Lord whom she had trusted. Look what is said about her. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel. Now notice this wonderful statement. Under whose wings you have come to take 
refuge. That is one of the most beautiful expressions in all of the Bible for faith. In fact, look at this image this morning because this very expression is used in Psalm 91 and verse 4 where the Lord says, He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. Very interesting word. The word take refuge means to seek refuge, to flee for protection. It carries the idea of to put your trust in. By the way, look at this little chick here this morning. This little chick has has fled for refuge under the wings of her mother. Here is total trust and total commitment to its mother for safekeeping. This is what faith is. Faith is total trust and total commitment in the Lord Jesus for his salvation and his safe keeping. Many years ago, Theodore Epp was about to preach. He founded Back to the Bible. And before he declared his sermon, he sat up and he said, Before I preach, I want to give you a definition of faith. And then he said, Here's what faith is. Faith is a personal trust in a personal Savior. And that is the best definition of faith that I've ever heard. And that's what we see here. Ruth came to the place where she sought refuge, protection, trust in the Lord, and in total trust and total commitment to Him, she came under His protection for salvation and, and safekeeping, and that was the beginning of her conversion. Now, one of the questions that we ask is, what caused Ruth to come to this place? And I think there are a couple of things. I think she was witnessed to by Naomi and her family. They told her that Yahweh was the true creator. And then for well over ten years, Ruth watched that family. And as we have seen, Naomi is very much hurting right now, but her faith was real. She had been a good wife. She had been a good uh, uh, mother. Uh, She very clearly had been a very, very good mother-in-law. Twice in this context, these two daughter-in-laws, as they think about leaving her, the Bible says in verse 9 and verse 14, they wept. It is a reference to loud wailing, like at the death of a loved one. These girls loved Naomi. And Ruth saw the reality of the Lord in Naomi so that she wanted that relationship as well. There are many of us who are here today, and we would say one of the reasons that I'm here and I'm a believer is because I have seen the reality of Christ in somebody else, and I so saw his reality that I wanted what they wanted. In my own life, my mother had that effect on me. As I grew up and watched her, and I realized what she was was because of Jesus in her life, there came a point in my own life when I wanted what she wanted, and her testimony is what brought me to the Savior. I think a second thing brought Naomi to, brought Ruth to the Lord. Her sufferings may have turned her to the Lord. 
As we've already seen, she had been through a lot. She lost her father-in-law. She lost her husband. She was unable to have children, uh, likely due to infertility. She could have been just as bitter as Naomi. Think of all of her suffering, all of her disappointment, all of her grief, and yet as we come here, instead of hardening her, it softened her. You know, somebody has said this, the same sun that hardens clay softens wax. And the same pain that hardens some softens others. And in the midst of her pain, her heart was softened, and that for her became the key to turning to Jesus. Maybe some of us here today are in pain. Maybe part of the reason why you are here is because of the pain of your present life. And as you are dealing with your pain, what you are discovering is it is softening your heart so that you are thinking of Jesus and giving him a chance and thinking maybe he's the answer. And it could be the very key to your conversion. Conversion starts with a faith commitment to the Lord for life. Let me ask you. Have you made that commitment? Let's look at the second element in conversion. Second element in conversion is a choice to enter upon God's narrow way. Look back with me at verse 14, and and let's notice again the scene. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Now, Sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. And an artist has done us a a great, great service in depicting this scene. He shows this poignant scene of Ruth clinging to Naomi while Orpah now begins the journey back. But did you notice what the artist has done? Did you notice the crossroads? The artist has drawn for us a fork in the road. There are only two ways open to these two daughters-in-law. There are not several ways open to Ruth. There, There are not many options. There are only two. I can't help but reading this and think of Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 13 and 14, in which he says... Enter by the narrow way. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are on that way. But he said, small is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And few that be that find it. And now here in Ruth's testimony, we discover this very same truth. Orpah took the easy way, didn't she? 
She went back to her family. She went back to her culture. She went back to a much easier future. But in doing so, she also went back to her God. Uh, the God of the Moabites was the God Chemosh. Here's an image of who they worshipped. The Moabites practiced child sacrifice to appease their God Chemosh and to win his favor. As bad as we all think abortion is, imagine taking a live infant placing that infant on an altar, murdering that infant, and then consuming it in a sacrifice to this God. Now in verse 15, when, when Naomi said to Orpah, go back to your people and to your gods, she linked the two. She knew that if Orpah went back, that eventually she would abandon her devotion to Yahweh. By the way, you say, how could a believer encourage somebody to do that? When you're bitter, you're not thinking right. And when you don't think right, your advice cannot be right. And so she knew if she goes back, she will abandon her commitment to Yahweh. It's interesting, there's a play on words here in verses 15 and 16. The, the phrase, go back, is a word that spiritually means to apostatize, to turn away from God. And Orpah is not criticized in this passage, but it is very obvious she was not willing to pay a cost. She was going back to the life that was comfortable and familiar, but it was a life of idolatry, and it was a life of iniquity. But now look at Ruth's choice. Look at Ruth's choice. She left her customs. She left her culture, her family, her prospects for future marriage and a family. She took on the responsibility of caring for an aged woman in a land where she would be a stranger. She was choosing a lifelong widowhood and the poverty that went with it. And notice what she says in verse 16, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Or to turn back. But Ruth had been converted. And she said... There is no turning back. Do you know what somebody has said about this? There is no more radical decision in all the memories of Israel. From Genesis all the way to Malachi, you will find no more radical decision in all the memories of Israel than this decision on the part of Ruth. And you say, why? Why does she do this? Well, here's the reason. In verse 14, it says she clung to Naomi. In the Psalms, that very word for cling is used of single-minded attachment to God. It is the person who values and treasures Jesus so much that he is worth more than all else. 
As a matter of fact, Ruth very much makes the very same decision that Moses made when he chose to leave all of the riches of the land of Egypt for what he experienced 40 years in the wilderness. Listen to what the Bible says about Moses, and notice that Ruth is exactly his equal. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because... He saw him who is invisible. What an amazing statement of conversion. When you have been genuinely converted, you know there is no turning back. You may lose friends, you may have to give up certain habits. You may have to start giving more of yourself than you ever planned you wanted to give. You will surely have to stop sinning. But those things become as nothing to you because you have found the true treasure. Ruth now has become that person. Her desires are attached to the Lord. And so she can pay this price because God has captured her heart and has become her true reward. And she now, as she sets her face towards this bleak future, can say in her heart, I would rather walk the narrow way with my Lord than to walk the broad way without Him. She has been converted. To the ways of God. Let me ask you this morning. Have you embraced whatever cost the Lord has asked you to pay? Because he has become such a great treasure to you. And he is your reward. That you would say all of these things that I may have to pay a price for. They are as nothing to me. Because I have found the Lord who has captured my heart. That is conversion. That is conversion. Now look thirdly at the final answer to this question. Final answer to this question is conversion is a change by God of one's inner heart disposition. Conversion is a change by God of one's inner heart disposition. As you know, one of the greatest Christians of all time was Augustine, who ministered in North Africa in Hippo. And Augustine one time asked this question, what is a new man? And I want you to notice the answer that he gave. What is a new man? It is a man renewed from oldness. Renewed unto what, said Augustine? Unto desiring heavenly things unto longing for things eternal, unto earnestly seeking the country which is above, and therefore fears no foe. 
Now, what Augustine is describing here is that God wrought change in the heart when we are converted. Only God himself can bring about this change. Only God is capable through the new birth of replacing old desires with new desires. Jonathan Edwards, the great pastor of the uh, early, early uh, Great Awakening, said, the only true sign of conversion is new affections that are placed in a person's heart by the God-wrought work of the Holy Spirit. And when those new affections take place and begin to lead our lives, then we know something has happened in my response to Christ, I have been converted. Now, in this passage, we begin to see that Ruth has experienced these new affections. Let me give them to you this morning, describe them for you for just a moment, and ask you, have these happened to you? Here are the signs of a converted heart from Ruth. Number one, self-sacrificing love for others. Number two, devotion to the people of God. Number three, living in God's presence as accountable to Him. And number four, persistence in doing good despite pressure. These are the God-wrought signs of a converted heart. Let me just touch on each of them briefly this morning. The first one, self-sacrificing love for others. When Ruth says to her mother-in-law in verse 16, Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay, that is a figure of speech in Hebrew called a merism. A merism is two opposites on the extreme end, and here it is, going and staying. The two opposites are a totality that mean whatever the activity. So what Ruth is saying to her mother-in-law is, whatever the circumstances, I will put your welfare ahead of my welfare. I do not care what may come... I am so committed to you and your good that I will put that welfare ahead of my own. May I say to you this morning, that is God's love. That is agape love. It is agape love, as we learn from the New Testament, that causes us to sacrifice our welfare for the good of someone else. And it is an evidence of her conversion. Secondly, devotion to the people of God. When Ruth says, your people, my people, your God, my God, she understood that the two are always linked. Loving God always means loving his people. Uh, There's an old statement that says this, when you take God as your father, you also take the church as your mother. I'd like to say it this way. When you take God as your father you also take the church as your family. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
And many, many people are bitter towards the church, but true converts love the church because the church is the people of God. It is an evidence of conversion. Look at the third one. Living in God's presence is accountable to Him. In verse 17, Ruth gives an amazing, amazing oath. She says, May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. This is the strongest way in the Jewish culture to make an oath by calling judgment upon yourself if you break the oath. Look at what Ruth is doing. She recognizes now Yahweh is my highest authority and He is a witness to all that I do. She is now living as always in His presence and wanting her actions which she knows He is observing as His child to please Him. When we want to be accountable to God, because we know He is always watching me. That is a sign of a new heart. And then notice the last one. Persistence in doing good despite pressure. Three times in this passage, Naomi pressured Ruth to give up and go back home. She had every single reason to do exactly what she was being told. But look at what happened in verse 18. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Very interesting word, determined. It literally means to strengthen herself. When Naomi saw that Ruth had strengthened herself, it refers to an inner strength to do what is right. It is a personal resolve when the pressure is on to steadfastly maintain a conviction that I'm going to do what's right no matter the pressure to do what is wrong. Do you know this is Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And it is a sign of a converted heart. I was converted to Christ as a teenager. And I remember very vividly how God changed my heart in all four of these ways. Now, I've never lived these perfectly, but there has been no question in my life that God has wrought them in me through the new birth. One of the most dramatic, dramatic experiences of this was when I was about 15 years of age. And I experienced God working in my heart, number three, living in His presence as accountable to Him. I've shared this story with you before, but let me share it again. I I was a typical teenager, not paying attention, goofing off, uh, essentially uh, thinking that none of this was very serious. And one evening, we're in the evening service, and I'm sitting in the back row with my friends. And we're passing notes, we're laughing, we're smirking, we are uh, just having a great time ignoring our pastor who's up in front bringing us the Word of God. Suddenly as I was involved in all of that disrespectful behavior, 
a lightning bolt came almost from nowhere and struck me. The pastor can see what I'm doing. I was shocked. How could I be behaving like this? As he was delivering the word of God. I came under such conviction that I knew as soon as this service is over, I have to go and apologize to my pastor. And I want to tell you, for a 15-year-old teenager, it was one of the most difficult things I had ever done. I would have rather run out the back door than face him. But I knew I had to. And so I waited in line, and my, my turn came. I shook his hand. I said, Pastor, I owe you an apology. I said, while you were preaching the Word of God, I was in the back, passing notes, laughing, smirking, distracting all of my friends. And I said, I'm so sorry. You know what he said to me? He said, I didn't even notice it. But then he said these words. He said, it doesn't matter that I saw it. What matters is you know God saw it. And that was the beginning of a tremendous change in my life. God was drawing me to himself. And as a young teenager who had a head full of knowledge, who had been baptized, who was even a member, I had never been converted. And when I was truly converted, the transformation was wonderful. And I look at this testimony of Ruth, and as imperfect as I am, it's my testimony. And it can be yours too. you will be converted. Let's bow our heads together and let's close our eyes. You have just heard this morning as clear as I can possibly make it. how a person is converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I do not know your heart. Only God does. Maybe you had Christian parents. Maybe you were raised in church. Maybe you were baptized. Maybe you were confirmed. You can have all of those things. and be outside of the grace of God.
maybe you have attached yourself to the church, thinking somehow that this will make the difference that you need. But I say to you, unless you be converted and become as a little child, taking refuge in total faith and total commitment, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And I invite you to the Savior today. Come to Him now. Tell Him that you turn from your own way and you place your trust in Him as your only hope of salvation. Tell Him that now you are willing to enter the narrow way. Whatever cost, He will ask you to pay. Say to Him, it is nothing like the joy and blessing of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He is worth every hardship, every self-denial, every disappointment. And then ask Him, Lord, bring about this God-wrought change of the inner disposition of my heart so that I long for eternal things. I long for the things of Christ. Oh, if you will come to him now, he will convert you. Father, today, thank you that all of us who know the Lord Jesus can turn to this story, and it is our story. And we rejoice in it. We bless and thank God for it. And we thank you that the same relationship that Ruth came into is ours. And all of the internal workings in her heart that only you could bring about. And I pray, O oh God, today that you will draw people to yourself. I know that people can hear sermons. I, I know that they can come and go. But I know that somehow, in the midst of all of that, they can miss it. And I pray today, O oh Father, that they would not miss it, but see it and embrace their Lord and Savior. Do this by the power of your Spirit alone through the ministry of your word and the prayers of your people. For Jesus' sake, amen.